Well, as always, thank you so much to all of those who have helped to put our worship service together. Uh, for Jim Ritterbush, who was our liturgist this morning and handled all of those names just so well. Thank you so much. Um, and for our praise team and Wesley Choir, who lead our music, and for Gary Brubaker, who puts all of our music so wonderfully well together for us. Thank you. We are in the middle of this series talking about who's who in the Bible. Um, some of the people who you may not know anything about or some that you know a lot about or maybe some that you know very little about. We've talked about Saul, who became Paul, Deborah, Samson, Mephibosheth, Gideon, and Lydia. Uh, we're talking about who they are, their imperfections and all, and what their stories tell us about their faith and how they might influence ours. So this morning, Mephibosheth. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, my mom um, listens to the sermons every week, and she transcribes them um, to be a manuscript for me and for several folks in our church who read them, um, who are homebound, who can't either access our online service or come in person. And um, she has been telling me that um, the, the transcription device that she uses or the software program that she uses has had a terrible time understanding the word Mephibosheth. Um, and I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, it's not really a common name. Um, I, I don't know, maybe the next, I don't know, kindergarten class that you run into, you'll find a whole bunch of Mephibosheths running around. Probably not. Um, but Mephibosheth is, um, is an interesting character. Now, last week I was sitting in with the Christian Leader Sunday School class, and I don't remember who said it, um, but someone made the comment that um, sometimes it's easy to pass judgment on someone before you actually know someone's story. And so how important it is for us to learn what someone's story is, because that, um, that might explain sometimes their actions or, or what happens. Sometimes their actions make more sense when you know their story. Bishop Gregory Palmer, a bishop in the United Methodist Church, a few years ago at one of our general conferences that was uh, at a particularly tense moment, which to be honest, we've had quite a few of those, um, but in a particularly tense moment, one of the things that Bishop Palmer said was, um, sometimes you need to share your story before you share your position, and then invited folks at general conference to share about themselves and their faith and their story. And I think those are all really important to remember about ourselves and about others in just about any particular part of our faith story. I think it's also important about these characters that we have in the scriptures. So Mephibosheth seems like a minor character in the story of David. And actually, there really is a lot going on in this story, more than you might think. And maybe, you know, as I have said the name Mephibosheth a hundred billion times, how many of you have gone, I have no idea who that is? That's fair, because I think that's the way most people would be. Um, so other than just being a fun name to say, Mephibosheth, um, what, what do we know about him? Because there's actually a story. So in order to know about Mephibosheth and who he is, we actually have to know a little bit about David. 
But we also have to know a little bit about Jonathan, who was Mephibosheth's father. And we have to know about the relationship between David and Jonathan. So let's back up a little bit. We've been talking a lot about some of the Old Testament stories in the time of the Judges. And so this is the time post-Judges. After a period um, of having Judges, then a king was anointed or appointed by God, um, and Saul was anointed to be the king of Israel. And Jonathan is Saul's oldest son. So that meant that Jonathan would be next in line for the throne, except Saul screwed up. Um, Saul did not, um, did not follow God's instructions, and so Saul lost favor with, with God. And so then uh, the, the search for a new king began. And so David was the one who was anointed to be the next king, which, you know, didn't go over real great with Saul. I mean, be honest, if it were you and um, somebody was like, hey, yeah, you're not king anymore. This kid is. This shepherd boy is. Um, Saul did not appreciate that very much. And, um, well, there was friction between Saul and David quite a bit. However, David and Jonathan, Saul's son, um, they actually became really good friends. I mean, really good friends may not be the best description. They were close. They were really close. Um, their relationship was closer than brothers. Um, at, some, at, at some points, um, David said that he loved Jonathan like he loved a woman. Um, and so their relationship is really intense and very close. Saul attempted to kill David a few times. And on one of the attempts that Saul made to kill David, Jonathan actually warned David. Now, first, Jonathan went to his dad, went to Saul, and was like, hey, don't do this. <laughs> he had tried to convince Saul not to kill David, which did not go over well with Saul at all. Um, he was furious with his son, and, um, and so he went on with his plan. So Jonathan helped David escape. And in the escaping um, from his murderous father, this oath was promised. Um, and this is found in 1 Samuel 20, 42. Go in peace, since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. This is the vow that's sworn between uh, Jonathan and between David. This is important to remember. It'll come back up again. Now, eventually, David and Saul reconcile after David has spared Saul's life for the second time. And in this battle, Jonathan is killed, and then Saul dies by suicide. In 2 Samuel um, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, David sings a song lamenting the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. Um, in verse 26, David sings, I am greatly distressed for, distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Wonderful, your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. This is a huge loss to David and, um, and really to everyone, is this death of Jonathan and Saul. 
After these deaths and after this battle, Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son, was taken um, in haste by his nurse um, to flee to keep him safe. Now, it was either in the rush to leave or um, something happened. He either fell or was dropped, and Mephibosheth ended up with crippled feet for the rest of his life. That's the backstory. Now, Mephibosheth means dispeller of shame. That's what his name means. I, I think that it's kind of a... a um, an interesting connection with how it continues in his story. <clears throat> Many believe, though, that that actually wasn't his original name. His original name was probably Meribal or Mephibabal. Say that three times fast. Meribal or Mephibabal. And it was probably changed at some point um, to remove the, rep the reference to Baal, um, Maribel, Maribel, or Mephibabal, Baal. Baal was the Canaanite god. And so at some point, it was believed that it was kind of cleaned up to give Mephibosheth more of a Hebrew name than necessarily a Canaanite name. Um, so just a little history for you. Um, we know him mostly as Mephibosheth, although some translations will say Mirabal or Maribel, Maribel. Um, so this passage for today that we have that Jim read so wonderfully, um, this passage does a few things. First, it cleans up the lineage and line of succession because at this point, all of Saul's sons have been killed. So there is no heir apparent from the lineage of Saul, except for this grandson that's still living, Mephibosheth. And so <coughs> the acceptance of Mephibosheth by David gives legitimacy to David's role as the king. So that's part of what this passage does. Like I said before, uh, Mephibosheth was either dropped or fell in the rush to escape and be kept safe. And so Mephibosheth has crippled feet. And so it wasn't actually that uncommon to hide those with disabilities, especially in royal families or wealthy families. So David really had to work in order to find Mephibosheth, probably both because he was in hiding because the rest of his family has all been murdered or killed and he doesn't want to be or, or his nurse doesn't want him to be, but he was probably also hid because of his disability. So there's kind of this twofold hiding of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth is summoned and brought to David and um, he thinks that he's going to be killed. I mean, what would you think if this king who your grandfather tried to murder several times um, now is king and summons you knowing that you are part of this lineage? And, you know, what do you think is going to happen? So he thinks he's being brought to David to be killed and even refers to himself to David as a dead dog. But instead, what David does is extends a hand and invites him to the royal table because he remembers the oath that was made with his best friend, with his true friend, with his companion, um, Jonathan. The Lord shall be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. 
That's back to the oath that was made. <clears throat> so, remembering this vow, David invites Mephibosheth to be a part of the royal table, also gives him land and someone to care for the land and someone to care for him. Ziba, his servant, um, is going to take care of him for the rest of his life. This story is a beautiful moment of reconciliation and welcome. It would be expected, even by Mephibosheth, that David would get rid of Mephibosheth, and yet he doesn't. He welcomes him to the table, remembering the promise and the relationship that he had with his father, the relationship of David and Jonathan. Now, it is a beautiful story and a beautiful moment right here. And it doesn't end there. Unfortunately, it would be so great if that's the way it ended. Like, you will sit at my table forever. And they all lived happily ever after. Unfortunately, that is not how the story ends. Um, Mephibosheth doesn't, doesn't really stay quiet and just receive this blessing as it is. Instead, later in the story, he, he tries to, he thinks about overthrowing David and taking his place as king of Israel. So David splits his land between Mephibosheth and Ziba and um, punishes him in, in that way. But David never casts him away from the table. Mephibosheth is always welcome at the table, even in his betrayal and even in his treason. David still welcomes him at this table and continues to save his life. David holds on to the vow that he made. The Lord shall be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Now, maybe you've heard the phrase uh, from theater that there are no small parts, only small actors. Mephibosheth really has a small role in this story. And yet, it's a big part that shows us about forgiveness. It shows us about blessings. It shows us about vows and promises. And it also shows us who's welcome at the table. It's always remarkable to me in reading stories from scripture about who is welcome at the table. At the table of the Last Supper, Jesus sat there with people who would betray him, deny him, abandon him, and still welcomed them and broke bread and gave it to all of them. At the table after his resurrection, Jesus sat with Peter who denied him and Jesus met him where he was. The woman who came to pour ointment on Jesus wasn't asked to leave, but was invited to stay. There's a parable that Jesus tells about the party and the table, and that if nobody comes, then go out and invite everyone. Invite everyone from the street to come. Psalm 23 says, You set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Exactly who is welcome at this table? Over and over and over, the scriptures give us stories and pictures of people welcome at the table. People that we wouldn't expect. People maybe that we wouldn't want to be invited had they done those things to us. Rachel Held Evans, who um, was an author and a speaker, she said, this is what God's kingdom is like. 
A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry. And they said, yes. And there's always room for more. She also said, but the gospel doesn't need a coalition devoted to keeping the wrong people out. It needs a family of sinners, saved by grace, committed to tearing down the walls, throwing open the doors, and shouting, welcome, there's bread and wine, come and eat with us and talk. This isn't a kingdom for the worthy, it's a kingdom for the hungry. Who is welcome at this table? Over and over and over, the scriptures show us who is welcome at this table, and it's everyone. Which bears the question for us, what tables are we preparing? Are they tables of welcome? Are they tables of grace? Or are they tables with limitations? Are they tables with just a few chairs? And who needs to be invited to the table? Maybe it's someone who hasn't been Maybe who someone who has been ignored or maybe someone who has been overlooked or maybe someone who has been told at other points or times in their lives that they're, that they're just not worthy enough. Who needs to be invited to this table and told, that's wrong, you are always welcome. There's an old uh, folk, t- folk quote that says, when you have more than you need, you build a longer table, not a higher fence. Who's welcome at this table? Again, Rachel Held Evans says, what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. All are welcome at the table. The story of Mephibosheth shows us that. All are welcome. Even in the midst of our brokenness, our weakness, our frailness, Sometimes the ways that we are, that we betray one another, the ways that we seek reconciliation at this table, all are welcome at God's table. This table that we gather at this morning, this table that we gather at with in friendship and love, this table that we gather at in laughter and in tears, This table that we gather at in joy and in pain. This table, this table that God meets with us. This table that whispers, I am with you always. This table of plenty, this table of welcome, this table of joy, this table of reconciliation, this table of grace, this table of food, this table of bread, this table is God's table. This table that says, you are welcome here. Thanks be to God. Amen.